there, I'm Dr. Amy King, otherwise known as Dr. Amy, and this podcast is the most important medicine. If you're a professional who wants to have a greater impact in the lives of children and families by building resilience, this podcast is for you. Join us to become a trauma-informed champion by nurturing connections through relational health to help kids and families thrive. Every time you join me, you'll hear practical information and leave with tangible tools you can use every day. Hey friends, it's Dr. Amy, and I'm so thrilled to be joined today by two veteran teachers as we move into September and how to create meaningful connections with kids. Stacey Egley and Carla Becker are a veteran mother-daughter teaching duo, and I cannot wait to talk to them today. But first, let me read their formal bios. Stacey Egley is a veteran teacher with 25 years of experience teaching in a variety of classroom settings, such as looping, collaboration, team teaching, and special education. She holds a bachelor's in elementary education with an endorsement in special education from the University of Northern Iowa. Stacy earned her master's degree in education from Graceland University and has served as a teacher leader for over a de- decade. Equity, inclusion, and social emotional learning are deep passions of hers. She now supports educators as the pre-K through five special education multi-tiered system of support specialist for the Norwalk Community School District in Norwalk, Iowa. During her tenure, Carla Becker, a retired teacher, taught elementary school for over 30 years. She earned her master's degree from Drake University within the confines of leadership and supervision. Carla was one of the first teachers in the district to start full inclusion in her classroom. She helped create a multi-age classroom where children learned at their own pace. In the midst of teaching at this new and innovative school, they were asked to partner with MIT on a Lego logo project. Carla was a finalist Iowa Teacher of the Year and served as a teacher leader in her district. Well, those are their formal bios, friends. Here are their informal bios. Stacy, who you'll hear from in a bit, was my best friend in high school. We shared secrets and slippers, vacations, homes, and spent more time together than apart. Her mom, Carla, was a second mom to me. Their home was always open, always loving, and some of my fondest memories were under her roof. When Stacy entered ed- education, I wasn't surprised. Her love of children, especially children with special needs, was always apparent. And Carla has been an educational hero ever since I've known her. To be in either of their classrooms is to be in a holding space that is sacred for children, honoring them first before what they're learning. So if I can get through today without crying or giggling, I will be really happy with myself. Welcome. Thank you. We're excited yeah. to be here. Is there anything else either of you would like to add to your formal or informal bios? I mean, there were some good wrestling matches. Over there were. <laughs> and lots of hushing at night. Girls. Girls. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm so glad both of you are here. I really appreciate your time. We are entering into September and on this podcast, we really focus on connection. But before we dive in, Carla, will you tell me a little bit first and our listeners, how did you get into the field of education? Well, if you remember correctly, that would have been a very long time ago. <laughs> and uh, living in a small community I don't think I was aware of how many different things there were out there for women to do. But I loved teaching just from the from the beginning. I knew that was what I wanted to do. 
and um, I went to the University of Northern Iowa, which was known as the teacher's school at the time. And I never looked back and I was never sorry that that's what I got into. It, it was my passion and I loved it. And, and in your tenure, I mean, when we're talking about your bio and I've got to see this live in person, how did you get into such innovative teaching practices? I mean, doing things like, you know, having kids learn at their own pace, doing multi-age classrooms is something that is pretty common now, but then was really innovative. How, how did you dive in there? One of the things that we did was visit a lot of classrooms and we did a lot of research and reading. We knew that we wanted another way. We just weren't sure what that was gonna look like. Mm -hmm. And after we did the research and did the visiting and the reading, we landed on multi-age and it worked so well. And so we just kept it and continued with it. Um, I don't know. Did I answer that question? Yeah, no, that's perfect. In a minute, when we talk about community, um, one thing it reminds me of if you're having a multi-age classroom is that it kind of inherently creates a different community, right? One of the things that I really liked was when I was at traditional school, fifth grade was as high as the grades went. And the fifth graders kind of developed a herd mentality because they were the oldest in the building and they got pretty confident and, mm -hmm. and their behavior changed. And that was one of the things we really wanted to see and work on was because they were in that room with their classmates. And even though the fifth graders would go on, they were still with classmates the entire time. And we got rid of that. We didn't have that at all. Mm -hmm. And they came to rely on each other. And I had a little special needs guy and he really struggled in a lot of areas. But when the new kids came and one of the kids sitting beside him did something and he leaned over and he said, I just wanted to tell you, she doesn't like it when you do that. <laughs> even advise people and be a leader in some way. Mm -hmm. And that was important that every child have an opportunity at some point and in some way be able to do that. Oh, I agree. I agree. Stacy, do you think you would have become a teacher if not for your mom? Probably not. You know, you, you grow up watching your parents work and I knew I loved kids, but I think it was definitely seeing my mom in action. And I would go visit your classroom all the time. <laughs> you know, I had that opportunity to, to be in the classroom and to see the impact that she made with students. So she was definitely a very big catalyst to me choosing this field. Mm -hmm. And then how did you get into special education and the work that you're doing now? I think part of it, you know, also came from her too. She was that teacher all along that was always the one that 
did really well with kids who didn't necessarily fit that nice, neat little box of behavior. Mm-hmm. And I loved that. It, I loved being able to see, you know, just these kids that maybe didn't feel successful and, and had some acting out, they, they were able to thrive. And I loved that. And that's, that's always kind of been a passion of mine to find that piece that's missing for them so that they can be successful. Mm. Yeah. So important. So right now when this podcast rolls out, it'll be the second or third week of school for most teachers. Um, how are teachers feeling the first couple weeks of school? You know, I think the first few weeks of school, we always have that nervous anticipation. What are my students, you know, what are they going to, to think? Um, how is our class family going to run? So I think we always have that nervous anticipation. I also think that we have a lot of pressure as educators, you know, coming down on us from politicians, people who aren't necessarily in the field that are coming up with a lot of legislation that make it very hard to be um, an, an educator. So I think there's there's always that mixed feeling of I'm here for the kids and I love it, but sometimes parts of my job are incredibly hard that maybe didn't need to be. Mm, you- yeah. yeah. What do you think, Carla? I think people that are mandating what teachers need to do have no experience in the classroom whatsoever, mm-hmm. and they don't know the pressures and and the the anxieties that they're placing on teachers. Mm-hmm. You do the best you can, and we try and do what, what's best for the student. That's that's where we start. And that can't be when you're trying to mandate some of those legislations. So there's, so what I'm hearing both of you say is that teachers are entering into the school year trying to do the very best thing for kids, but also facing a lot of pressure, politicism of their classrooms, mandates from people who might not know what it's like to be with 20, 30 or more kids. Um, what would you say to educators to just focus on the first couple of weeks of school? I think the biggest thing that makes the difference is creating, like you mentioned, creating that family, that connection. I think Mm -hmm. that is so critical, especially for our kids that are coming into our classrooms today. We have so many kids that are coming from trauma backgrounds and you you can do the best lesson plan, you can have the best curriculum, you can have the best materials, and when you have a little nugget that is mentally not in a place where they're able to take that learning in, it doesn't matter. So I think it's very, very important that our teachers are spending these first few weeks getting routines in place so that these kids are feeling the safety of knowing what to expect. Um, they're building that, that classroom family so that kids feel that they're safe in this classroom. So I think those are critical pieces that teachers are, are starting to dive into, especially these first few weeks of school. I love that you're saying that it's the safety of knowing what to expect. Yeah. Yeah. The academics won't come if you don't build your classroom first and make your kids feel confident and safe. Mm-hmm. And that's why you really have to spend the time in the beginning getting to know your kids and making sure they know each other and they feel safe 
talking or or whatever it is. So so both of you have had decades of experience teaching. To a teacher who's hearing this and saying, oh my gosh, yeah, I, that seems really important. Class, family, creating community, creating safety, but I don't know how to do that. Do you have one or two little gems or pieces of practical advice you might offer them? So I actually got to attend um, a seminar this summer and Dr. Clay Cook from Character Strong talked about four at the door plus one more. So that's just one strategy that I absolutely just, oh, I wish I would have known this when I was in my classroom. But um, the four things are eye to eye. So are you really taking the time to look at that kiddo in their eye? You know, as teachers, we're so busy trying to multitask and do all the things that sometimes we skip that really important piece of actually showing that child, like, I'm looking and I see you. Mm-hmm. The second one is hand to hand. A lot of our kiddos, especially the kids that are coming from maybe a traumatic experience, don't like to be touched. So it doesn't have to be a physical touch. It could be something like, hey, you're wearing my favorite color today. Did you know blue's my favorite? What's your favorite color? Like you're, you're touching them on something that is meaningful to them. The third one is name to name. It's so important for our kids to be able to hear their name spoken positively. They might not have heard their name in a positive way yet that day. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth one is heart to heart. Are you really showing these kids that they matter? You know, if you have a student that was absent the day before, I'm so glad you're back. I missed you yesterday. You're so important to our classroom. So having those four things that as you're greeting kids when you're walking in, that sets the tone immediately. And that student is so excited to be coming. And they know that even if it is just 20 seconds, they have your undivided attention and and they know that they're loved and wanted. Mm -hmm. And then the plus one more is, are you providing some kind of entry task that that student now knows is a routine, though those entry tasks might change, I know that I'm always going to go to this location and I will have some kind of activity that is my responsibility to do. So you have that entry level task that kids are knowing before they walk in the door that that is what they're going to do as soon as they get in. So I think that's a really good strategy to to create that welcoming environment. Mm -hmm. Um, I think sometimes our teachers are so well intending, but we're busy. And I think we have to be really mindful to carve out that time to show that those kids that they're seen. Yeah. So four at the door plus one more. And the one more is really giving them direction and purpose as well. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, And I hear also in that routine that you're creating structure and predictability that's really good for kids. How about you, Carla? How, How do you create that family feeling? One of the things that I did was on a chart tablet, I listed our schedule for the day Mm -hmm. so that they could see what was going to happen. And then every morning we had a class meeting. We went over the schedule. They could ask questions. I answered. And then we might do um, a getting to know you activity or, or whatever, or talk about a problem that Mm -hmm. we've had and how could we fix it. Kids are so intelligent and they have so many good ideas about the problems that are going on. They need to be listened to because nine times out of 10, their ideas were better than mine. So they just knew that every morning we would start 
with a class meeting mm -hmm. and that everyone was welcome to say something if they wanted. And oh my gosh. That made a big difference. It makes a huge difference. I mean, what I'm hearing you say, Carla, is like, we check in, we take the time to check in. And, you know, there's a lot of like SEL, SEH curriculums that are rolling out right now that kind of, but, you know, those get balked at at times. Like, really, we want to do social emotional connections. Like, shouldn't we be teaching math and reading? But you're saying this, these check-ins before anything else, because as you said before, kids aren't learning if they're not feeling seen. And I, I just also want to underscore the other thing you said, which is, kids have so much to say and they're experts um, and we learn so much from them if we listen. Um, so thanks for, for offering that. Um, I want to shift a little bit to parental involvement and connection because it's the first, again, first couple weeks of school, first couple months of school, you're not just getting to know dozens of kids. You're also hopefully getting to know dozens of parents. And Carla, at the school you were at, you had 100% parent participation in your classroom. I'm just, I'm saying that and I'm watching like figuratively all of my listeners shake their heads. Like you gotta be kidding me. I can barely get a quarter of my parents into my classroom. Will you just talk about the community that you create for parents? Well, actually I'm going to brag because it was 100% in our school. Wow. Wow. And, and we worked diligently and hard on that. But one of the things that we landed on was we, bring, the teachers, brainstorm different ways that parents could become involved in things that we were doing, like volunteer to go on a field trip. One of the things that all of the parents did was furnish a snack for the classroom. Okay, that's involvement. Mm -hmm. Another thing is we had student-led conferences. They were they came to those. That's involvement. Mm -hmm. So we tried to make it where there was something that regardless of how busy the parent was or what was going on in their lives, they could fit something on that sheet into their schedule or what they did. Mm -hmm. And it worked out every time. You had a, it was almost like a menu of choices, one of which being attending that student teacher conference, um, the student led conference. So that was one of them for sure. But then you provided such an opportunity that was just, the, the, it allowed everybody to be able to have some kind of participation, you know? They didn't have to be the parent that always went on the field trip, right? Because sometimes those parents can't get off of work. And one of the things that we heard one of our parents say was that they would have gone into the classroom more, but they felt like walking in the door and going in, they were interrupting mm -hmm. what was going on and that the walls were barriers. We had no walls in our mm -hmm. school. Mm -hmm. We had areas that were ours, but parents could come and go as they saw fit. And we had more parents want to, vis to visit because then they felt more welcome into the room. And so, so both of you are saying like multiple different ways to be involved. 
a physical space that's welcoming that says, come into my classroom. For teachers that might be thinking, um, right, we all have this parent in the back of our mind that are like, well, but that parent doesn't want to be involved. They don't show up. They don't return my calls. They're not involved. What do you say about that perspective on a parent? We didn't have any parents not come to the student-led conferences. We, we sent out sheets so that they knew what to expect. The kids shared a portfolio that they'd made. We sent those home ahead of time so that the kids could take extra time if they wanted. Mm-hmm. And at the conference, we filled out a sheet of goals that that child wanted to work on for the next term. And then the parents would write down what they were going to do to help the child achieve it. I would say what I was going to do, and the child would say what they were going to do. And then we all signed it. Mm-hmm. And, okay, we're putting our signatures on this, and that's how important it is. Mm-hmm. And you're writing your signature, and that's every bit as important as either one of ours. And the parents bought into it. Mm-hmm. Well, they felt welcomed in. They felt right? Like you were collaborating with them on their child's educational goals versus just telling them, this is what I'm going to do in my classroom for your child. That feels really different to me. And I think about, I would try to be really mindful of making phone calls home to families. Again, those first few weeks of school, hey, how's it going? Tell me, tell me your thoughts so far. Do you have any questions for me? And I got such great feedback from families saying, I felt like you actually were listening to us as a family too. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's it's really easy for us to just jump into, well, why isn't that parent involved? Well, they might not feel welcome. Mm -hmm. So part of what I thought was it's, it's a little bit on me that I am providing not only opportunities, but I'm also showing these parents too, that I am genuinely wanting their participation in their child's education. Mm -hmm. I had some, some children in my classroom that, had been deliberately put in my classroom. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when I investigated about their, their years ahead of me and there were some issues, I invited the child and the parents to come to school and meet with me before school started. Mm, I love that. And we could talk about you know, here's, here's what I expect. And I know that you can do that. And mom and dad heard the exact same thing at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that made a lot of difference. And I always tried to call home those first few weeks to say to the parents, you would be so proud of your child mm. if you could see what they were doing now in school. Oh my God. I, I love this so much, Carla. I mean, I was literally listening to a mom the other day um, cry because the only time she hears from her child's school is when he's doing something wrong or bad. And I'm hearing you say, not only do the kids that are struggling, do we want to hear from their parents, but like, we want to partner with them and maybe even bring them in before school starts. And like, 
you know, have them be part of your classroom, have them ask questions, have them know what the rules and expectations will be and have the parents partner with you. I mean, that must feel so different for a parent than to get that call from Mrs. Becker saying, you would be so proud. Let me tell you what your child did today. I mean, that's incredible. And it's powerful. And I, I had quite a few opportunities where I would have families, oh, what? You know, you could tell instantly they had never mm-hmm. gotten a phone call that was not bad. So I, I think that that's really important because we do have so many wonderful things to celebrate about our kids too. And we need to make sure we highlight that as well. Mm-hmm. I had a move in at the, toward the end of the year, one year. And came from a much bigger school than what we had. Mm-hmm. And the mom said, he's falling between the cracks and he's not successful in school. And she told me this later because apparently I said, we got this. Mm-hmm. He's not going to fall through the cracks. We'll make sure of it. We can do this. And he was a fifth grader. And so we moved on at the end of the year and she brought me a plant that she had started for me. And she said, you were the first teacher that said it was going to be okay. Mm. And I hung on to that. And she said, and you were right. It was okay. Mm -hmm. And I'd forgotten what I'd even said. I knew I had reassured her and I knew we would have it and take care of it. But parents, she never heard it before. Mm-hmm. I love, I want to underscore two things that you're saying for people that are listening. First of all, just a genuine reassurance for the parent, right? We're not going to let your kids slip through the cracks. The other thing I'm hearing though, is, is this language we, what did you mean fundamentally by we, we've got this. All of the teachers in our school would work together. We would work with the parents so that they would be a part of it as well. And the child would be involved in it too. Mm -hmm. So it was just this great big family of people that were all working toward the same goal. Mm -hmm. Wow. I don't know that many parents hear that, that type of we language, especially like you were mentioning, Stacey, parents who maybe haven't had a good experience with school, or maybe they were in special education when special education was kids down at the end of the hall or in the basement, or maybe they experienced some kind of oppression from the school district in some part. And so how how are you super sensitive about inviting those parents into your classroom? I think it's especially critical for those parents that have maybe had that negative experience to be able to come in and see that it's not just me talking. Like Mm -hmm. I'm literally meaning what I'm saying and you can come in and see that I'm not just fluffing. You know, Mm -hmm. I I think that that's important for, for them to understand that they're not just words. I want you to come in and see that I mean what I say and you're welcome in here. And this classroom it might be a little different, but your your child is loved and 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 wanted to be mm. here. So I think that's wow. important because I think for some kids, I think especially kids that are maybe some of those more challenging students, maybe they haven't really felt loved. And mm-hmm. they pick up on that. They know, you mm-hmm. know, so do their parents. 
Mm-hmm. And it's so important for them to know that they are loved and wanted. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Something that you said was if the parents had been in special education themselves and you will run into that. And you also primarily will see that a hundred percent of them have very negative feelings about special education. Yeah. And so when that's brought up, they're like, Mm-mm, my child's not going through that. Yep. And I had to explain what it was going to look like and that I wasn't going to be dragging their chair, their child down the hall. They would be with me in class mm-hmm. and we would work on these specific things. Mm-hmm. But, and I invited the parents to come in and see what it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Well, and I love so much that both of you are saying over and over and over again to your colleagues that are listening, right? Invite them in, not just for conferences, not just for back to school, invite them in before, invite them in during, make it a place where parents feel like they can come in and see how you're teaching and what inclusion looks like and what kindergarten looks like and what fifth grade looks like so that they just have a good sense of like, oh, I can trust this teacher. She's doing or he's doing what they say they're going to do in practice. So right now throughout, oh, sorry, yeah. I think sometimes too, we have, you know, a lot of restrictions, you know, our schools are definitely locked down tighter than they used to be years ago, but you still have opportunities. I would um, send videos home to the families so that Mm. they could see their child doing something, you know, extra special. The kids would make a video of themselves reading or whatever. So sometimes if you can't even have that parent physically be in your classroom, Mm -hmm. there are so many wonderful virtual ways that you can get your parents to be able to see your classroom. So I I think that that. you need to be mindful of providing those opportunities too. For especially parents that might not be able to come in during the school day or, um, and, and with today's technology, I would imagine there's so many ways that you can provide I mean, nobody's ever sent me a video of my kid during the day doing something fun and creative. And it's amazing. What a great idea. What a great idea. Um, Okay. So everywhere, everywhere across our country, I'm hearing that behavior is so tough right now that we're seeing more complex behavior than we've ever seen. Um, Carla, you were saying something before we started recording about pre-teaching social skills that that might these behaviors be like a mask for that unmet need will you just say a little will you say some more about that that was uh very important when we had the multi-age school and we went through and decided on some social skills that we wanted each child to have Um, one was saying please and thank you. Mm -hmm. A lot of kids knew nothing about that. Mm -hmm. And if it's a social skill that we thought was important, then we taught what it was and what we expected because you can't assume they know. Mm -hmm. And so we would make a T-chart of what it sounded like, what it looked like. We role modeled it. And um, then we would have 
situations where the kids would practice doing it in the classroom. And it, it worked. We expected it then. They knew we were going to expect it. Mm -hmm. And here's a chart that tells you what it looks like and sounds like if you do it. And they did it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, something that I'm really proud of, well, a lot of things, but when we went on field trips, every single place we went, they came out and told us that they had never had a school have the students act so well and have manners and act appropriately. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't by accident. That's we were right. proud of our kids, but they they knew what what the expectation was, mm -hmm. and they came through with it. Well, and I what I want people to hear in that because I I've had the privilege of being in your classroom, Carla, when I was a young college student, is that all it's all of the things you're saying that is creating what somebody at a farm sees or somebody on the field trip sees, right? That is, it's pre-teaching those social emotional skills, the social skills you want them, but it's also the community that you had created by then and knowing every child and, you know, them feeling like they're accountable for one another. And like you were saying before, the fifth graders are kind of looking out for the third graders and like, oh, we better like get this in line here, right? These are the expectations. And I want teachers to know it's not just one skill that you're teaching. It's all these different layers of teaching that are happening. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is. It is. And, and they all have a place and it all fits together in order to make it successful. Mm -hmm. They all have a place, meaning every child. And all of the different things that we're teaching have a place in making it the kind of environment that you want to create for your students. Wow. Stacey, what about you? A lot of tough behaviors. How do you, how are you as a, as a district leader, how are you talking to teachers about these tough behaviors? You know, more than ever, we're seeing acting out behavior, unsafe behavior. How do you view that? What's your lens? I think the thing that has evolved for me as I have gone through my career is really the simple idea that behavior is a form of communication. Mm -hmm. And I tried to work really hard to figure out what it was, what do they not have or what are they um, unsure of? What is missing in our, our environment that is not allowing this child to feel safe? That psychological mm -hmm. safety is so important to our students. Um, you know, and, and I think I have really tried hard to genuinely look at through their eyes, what is this classroom experience like for them? Are they a student that doesn't necessarily feel like they have friends? You know, I worked really, really hard, especially for those kids that are those challenges. We worked so hard to build those relationships. You have to know them. You have to know them, what, what are they outside of school? What do you, what do you enjoy? Do you, do you have hobbies? Tell me who lives at home with you. Do you have a favorite animal? You know, you really, these kids need to know that it's more than just, I need to teach you one plus one. Mm -hmm. They know that you're invested in them. 
And I feel like the more that they were able to see that I continually showed up for them that way, it helped them to have that safety to be able to be themselves. We also did a lot with um, calming spaces in our room. Mm -hmm. So our students know that it's never a punishment to be able to just go take a break. You know, we think about adults, we go and grab a drink of water or go grab a mint or, you know, stand up and stretch. We do that. We know what to do to regulate ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I was really mindful to teach my students different things that they could do to help regulate themselves mm -hmm. and know that it's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, we all have big feelings sometimes and that's okay. There's so a I lot hear of you, modeling. I hear you saying two foundational things, um, relationship and regulation, mm -hmm. that that's, how you're dealing with behaviors, tough behaviors, not through star charts and consequences. And I mean, certainly there are things, right, that we need to do to help kids. But really what I'm hearing you say is they have to have spaces where they can be regulated, where they can calm their nervous system, and they have to be in relationship. And I love, I wrote down a couple of your questions, like what's missing from this environment that they don't feel safe? What's this like for them, right? Not how do I want my classroom to look, but if I look through the eyes of the child, how is this classroom for them? Is it overstimulating? Um, do I understand transitions? Do I know what the rules are? Um, and I love this, Stacey, who are you when you're not here, mm -hmm. right? Because so many kids who have behavioral difficulties, you know, feel like they're not doing well at school or they're getting in trouble at school, but they have a whole self outside of school. And maybe they love baseball or maybe they love reading or maybe they love animals. And so I hear you saying, if, you know, I just hear you saying over and over relationship, connection, relationship, like to, to address these really tough behaviors. And I also think sometimes too, I think teachers really need to be mindful that if you do have a, a student that has maybe needed to leave to calm, Mm -hmm. How are you welcoming them back? Oh. Do they feel like, do they feel like you're glad that they're back in the room? And sometimes, you know, we, as educators, we know sometimes that's hard. You know, you also can get <laughs> dysregulated with, with your totally. kiddos, but you're an adult and, and you can't put that on that kiddo. Mm -hmm. You need to let them know. I'm so glad you're back. We're on, on page two of this book. Do you want me to help you get it open? Mm -hmm. They need to be able to know not only you're welcome back in my room, but I'm going to help you get right back to where we were. So, and you, and you get to have a redo. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes they're much calmer, much quicker than what you are. So before you've gotten yourself calmed down, they're back in the room and you're thinking, okay, take a deep breath and move on. Conversations that I would have too, you know, you, you got to go out and take a quick break and I still feel like my... <laughs> my emotions are still kind of big right now. So I'm going to, I'm going to go take some deep breaths. I modeled what I do mm -hmm. and I, and I use those words with them too. I got upset too. Yeah. So I'm going to take some deep breaths and, and then we can talk because it's important for us to talk. And, you know, you think about when we know so much more about trauma and how the brain works, they can't attend to any of those consequences or stickers. Mm -hmm. Their brain is literally offline and they're literally thinking about survival right now. So to, to be able to try to rationalize with a child when they're in an escalation is pointless. Right. You have to have them calm and, and you have to gently coach them through it when they are in that regulated state. 
Mm-hmm. And you have to make sure that you're treating your kids with dignity. Mm-hmm. That's really important too. And I don't know where this fits in, so I'll just throw it in right now. But for some reason, a lot of years that I taught, I was in charge of the stapler and the scotch tape and <laughs> all of those things. And they all had to come to me to use them. And then I'm thinking, why? So the stapler was out, the scotch tape was out. We went through more band-aids than any class in the school, I think. But I wanted them to know that I trusted them enough to know when to use it and how to use it. Mm -hmm. And that it was ours, not mine. Mm -hmm. And, And those are things that you don't really think about. And I always wanted a morning break and I, always needed something to eat. Yes. We had a morning break and we had something to eat every morning. Mm -hmm. Adults do that. Mm -hmm. Why would we not think kids would want to do it too? Well, and so what I hear both of you saying is that if I need it, probably the kids need it too. So why don't I just model it for them so they get what they need? But the other thing that I love that you're saying, Carla, is kids can manage themselves. If we show them like the parameters and we give them opportunities and autonomy, like they're not stapling each other in the forehead. Right. And if they do, they'll probably lose the privilege. But for the most part, like what's the worst thing that would happen is that everybody got a bandaid that day because they're caring and compassionate with each other. Right. Um, so I, I love that. Um, Stacy, can I play devil's advocate on something you said a little bit ago for maybe other educators that are listening and they heard this too. And they're like, Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't say that. You said kids need to know that they're loved mm-hmm. and kids need to, parents need to know that their kids are loved. Mm-hmm. I think there are teachers, maybe, maybe not with this podcast. Cause I think y'all are champions, but I think there are teachers out there that hear that and think, I don't love all the kids in my classroom. I certainly don't know if I should say that to a kid. Like I'm not their parent. I don't want to overstep. So what do you say to, to that? I, again, I think as you evolve in your career, I think that that is something that I just got to the point where I wanted my students to know that I love them. And, and we would talk about that with them in our meetings. I love you. You are important to me. It is important to me that you are are learning and, and successful because I love you and I want that for you. Mm-hmm. And I think, especially for some kids, that might be the only time they're told during the day that they're loved. Yep. And I think it's important for, for our families to understand that too. My communications home with families, you know, I, I love your child and I'm so thankful that they're in my room. Mm-hmm. You know, I... I think it's important for, for kids to hear that because mm-hmm. there are probably uh, an unfortunately large number that maybe aren't hearing that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I think we do need to say it. And, and I, I, you know, I definitely understand you have those kids where you're like, Oh my goodness, that kid is <laughs> pushed my very last button today. But I think about my own kids at home. I love you no matter what. There are times I don't necessarily like what you're doing right now, but I love you no matter what. And it goes the same with your students at school. 
Yeah, they they need to know that despite how they might push your buttons, which they're going to, right? That you they're still loved and that mm -hmm. the classroom is a place they're loved. Right. And one thing we talked about was that we spent more waking hours with each other at school than what they did at home with their mm -hmm. parents. Mm -hmm. And that they were a part of my school family. Yeah. Yeah. And mm -hmm we're spending all this time together. So let's make use of our time and let's be appropriate and make it feel good mm -hmm. since we are spending so much time together. Yeah. I, I also appreciate what you're saying, right? It, it takes a little bit of time and experience to get there, right? I think if you're a new young teacher, you're like, oh, this is my work life and this is my kids. And, and I want teachers to have boundaries. And at the same time, I do think we're kind of taught to be this ultra professional and not a person. And like, how do you walk into a first grade classroom and not love these kids and not let them know that you care about them? And like you're saying, Carla, like we're a family. And then again, I go back big picture to what you both have said. If a kid feels loved and if they feel like they can mess up and if they feel like they're your family and you're teaching these skills and it's in, I mean, all the things you're saying, I think we're going to have less behavioral problems. You do. Yeah. I, I, I just think you do. It's the solution to so much. Stacy. you've been through a lot. Uh, you've taught everything, taught multiple elementary grades, kids with special needs, including you've gone through teaching a classroom during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, how are teachers doing right now? I think we still feel some residual feelings from the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I think we had to work so hard especially that first year when we came back, we were in masks, kids had to sit in rows. Mm -hmm. They couldn't share materials. You know, you were in this sterile little environment. And I think we had to work really, really hard to switch our mindset because that was not how we used to be. Mm -hmm. But I think that we maybe got a little complacent and now we need to make sure that, you know, we're in a safer world right now where we need to make sure that we're getting back to some of those things. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think that we are seeing our kids, they're different now. Yeah. Our kids are very different. You know, I think I read that one in four kids have come from a background that has trauma mm -hmm. prior to COVID. It was like one out of five or six. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. our students are literally coming to us very differently than what they did before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of things that kids didn't necessarily learn that they that they maybe missed out on that we're still needing to try to catch them up on. So I, I think that we are still seeing the effects of the pandemic um, and, and we'll get back there, but I think that we still have some work to do to try to catch up from that crazy event in history. What do you think Stacey, uh, because teachers have been through a lot and they're tired and there's some residuals, what do you think they need right now? I think a big key is, and I think you even touched on it on one of the, your other podcasts, is we you have to find your family at school too. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to find that that safety net of of your colleagues that you can go into and you can cry if you need to, because we do have crazy emotional things that we experience as teachers. Mm -hmm. You have to have that that safety group of people that you can literally just go in and, and let it out. And sometimes you're angry and sometimes you are 
um, overjoyed, but you have to have your people. And it is so critical that you find those people. You know, you have, you have your family at home and they're, your spouses are amazing, mm-hmm. but they don't necessarily get it. They can't because they're not in it. So you have to have that person there. You have to have a colleague that you can trust to just let loose when you need to and know that you're safe and they're holding space for you. Carla, um, you've had so much experience. And if I'm listening right now and I'm hearing about all the things you've done to create community in your classrooms and all the accolades you've received, like, tell me like, as a young teacher, as a new teacher, as an uncertain teacher, um, what advice do you have? Like, where do I start? My wisdom came very late in my career. I hadn't started out that way at all. Mm. I knew the way that things were going wasn't what I wanted, but I didn't know how to make it different. And no one else did either at that time. I think that, first of all, you said, what do teachers need? And I think it's sleep. (laughs) (laughs) You've got to give yourself a break and and take care of yourself too. Mm-hmm. But I think don't expect it all to fit together right away. Mm. You you can only you can only do what you can do, and don't try and tackle it all at once. You've got to start, and and it it'll go slowly. Mm-hmm. And don't be afraid to look. There's resource books out there that talk about these things, and there's older teachers that love to talk about what's going on Mm -hmm. and find somebody that can help you if you need it. Yeah. When I would go visit Stacy's room after I retired and I would walk into some of the other rooms, the things that were going on were amazing. I couldn't believe the, the creativity and, and the insight that, those teachers had with what they were doing with those kids. Mm-hmm. And I don't think teachers give themselves enough credit for what mm-hmm. they do. But the new teachers, you know, new teachers that, that are just starting out in this field, you have so many valuable things to bring to the table to your colleagues that maybe aren't in on some of the latest learnings, you know, and for the the seasoned teachers, you you have a perspective that you're able to to share with new teachers. I think it's really important to find that mentor and mm-hmm. to know that our young teachers have such great things to offer as well. So, you know, share because we need we need each other to do this job. Okay, so I wrote down like a prescription for teachers: uh, sleep right. and sleep yes. and sleep. Right. Yep. Um, having a team, finding your team at school who can relate to you, um, giving yourself time and grace that you don't have to be right now where you want to be in 20 years. You can, it'll take some time, find a mentor and give yourself credit because you're already doing so much right and well and good for kids. Oh, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh. Okay. And if all else fails, chocolate helps. And if all else fails, chocolate. (laughs) Um, Last question before we move on to our rapid fire. Um, Carla, what could we be doing better in education to promote connection? 
I think that so many barriers have been put up by the powers that be and the teachers are trying to respect those and do what they know or think is right. And I think you have to sometimes go ahead with some of the things that you know is what's best for your kids mm. and do it. And maybe I shouldn't say this, but then that's never stopped me before. One of the things that I learned was forgiveness was always much easier to get than permission. And if it was something that I felt really strongly about and that I felt was to their benefit, I went for it mm -hmm. and I, and I did it. Mm -hmm. And more often than not, they were okay with what it was that I was doing because it always for was what's right for the kids. Mm -hmm. And yeah. as long as you can show them that there's very little or very few administrators that will be upset because you've always got your kids first and foremost. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's hard to argue with that. How about you, Stacy? What could we be doing better in education to promote connection? Oh my gosh, that's a good question. I I think it is critical to work with your team. I think um, I think we're tasked with sometimes really really hard work in mm -hmm. education, and I think that connecting with your colleagues, um, connecting with your class. I, I think that those connections are, those relationships are what will make the difference, I think, not only for your students, but also for you. You know, mm -hmm. I think that's a big part of it. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Okay, so I have just a few rapid fire questions. Ready? Oh yeah. Carla, what's one thing that people get wrong about this profession? I think that they, believe that teachers have answers for it and that if this is a problem, then what are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm. And I don't think they realize that each situation is different and you've got to handle it according to what child you're, you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. I don't have all the answers. Mm -hmm. I'll try and get them. Mm -hmm. But, and something that I noticed as an observer of the pandemic and watching teachers was that the teachers were blamed for everything during that period of time. Mm -hmm. I heard a parent yelling at a teacher that their child had gotten COVID at school. Mm. Yeah. I mean, they were being held accountable for that. Mm -hmm. and, and that's hard. Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things out of the teacher's control. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's greater compassion for sure. Mm -hmm. Stacey, what's uh, one thing that people get wrong about your profession? Um, the thing that always irritates me is well, you have your summers off. Mm -hmm. That gets me every time. Mm -hmm. Don't you? It, you? You know, three months. <laughs> Yeah, no, we're putting in the amount of work for the, some of those days, but you're very hard pressed to find a teacher who is not still learning and doing and creating and prepping for mm -hmm. their classroom. Mm -hmm. You're 
back to school. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think they get it wrong that we're just in it for those summers off. <laughs> yeah, it always amazed me. It always amazed me growing up and, and watching you, Carla, how much time and money you spent in your classroom that was not given to you. Um, it's incredible to me. Um, okay. Um, Stacey, what's, what's feeling magical in your life right now? What's giving you energy? Oh, career-wise, I mm -hmm. love being able to work with my teachers. Mm -hmm. I love... Um, I love being able to have experienced what I did in the classroom, but I also really, really love being to able to partner with teachers and, and to reach more than just my 23, 24 kids. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy that aspect. So I think mm -hmm. that's pretty magical that I get the opportunity to, to touch hundreds of kids. Mm -hmm. And what about personally? What's, give, what's giving you energy? What's magical for you? My family's amazing. My friends mm -hmm. are amazing. I also really like naps. <laughs> so good. So good. <laughs> Carla, what's one thing that's giving you energy right now? My family, I think. Mm -hmm. They're they're my biggest critic and my biggest supporters. Mm -hmm. So and I've been trying to do things that I haven't done before. Knitting. Mm -hmm. uh, embroidering, different things like that. I started making little stocking caps for uh, preemies Aww. and donating them to the hospitals. I think I decided that it was important for me to keep learning something. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, last question, probably the toughest one. Um, it's late in the day or late at night and you have a food craving. Carla, what do you reach for? I usually pop popcorn. That's that's a biggie for me. That is good. And I always have to have Diet Pepsi. <laughs> All, I mean, that's that's my go-to. That I I have to have that. Mm -hmm. Stacy, what about you? I really just love ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> ice cream and naps are going to solve the world's problems. <laughs> more ice cream and naps this world would be a better place it really would be it really would be okay i'll try to get through this goodbye without without becoming tearful but thank you so much from the bottom of my heart um i might talk to you once a year or once a month or once every while but as soon as i called and i said would you show up and do this it was without hesitation that you both said yes and so i thank you for that I thank you, Stacy, for your friendship. Okay. And Carla, you, you probably don't even know this. Well, you know that I, I did not always have an easy childhood, but what you don't know are the things that I remember about your house that made me feel safe. Like how your laundry smelled and how I felt when I came in your house. And I know that that's what both of you do for kids now. And so from the bottom of my heart, Thank you for always, always being people who see the whole person. I really think it's what's gonna change education. I think it's really what transforms us. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having us. Thank you for what you do too. Yes, my privilege, I, we love you. So proud to 
to call you friend. You are phenomenal. Thank you. Well, that's it, friends. If you like what you're hearing here, please download my free resource called 10 Guiding Principles to Nurture Connection and Help Children and Families Thrive. This is the most important medicine. Keep listening to other people's stories and let them transform you. And keep sharing yours because your humanity will heal others. Bye for now.